Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Quran Revolution. Quran Revolution is the game-changing online system designed to give you your Quranic voice. No matter where you are in your journey in recitation, Quran Revolution is designed to help you recite the Quran with confidence. Through its cutting-edge app, personal TA system, and groundbreaking curriculum for English-speaking Muslims, you'll learn more Tajweed in three months than you have in the past six years. Now the Prophet has moved to Medina, the masjid, he's uh, you know, the established the brotherhood, all of these things have been established. And now the Battle of Badr and the Muslims are granted victory in the Battle of Badr. Then you see here in the section it says, the plan fails. A question mark, obviously not failed. This is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So of these things that we're going to be talking about now, number one, if you'll notice that in Medina, there were Jews there. There's actually three tribes, three Jewish tribes, major tribes that lived in Medina. Okay, the three Jewish tribes, the major tribes that lived in Medina, Banu Nadir, Banu Quraidah. Banu Nadir is the first one, Banu Quraidah is the second one, and Banu Qainuqa is the third one. Banu Qainuqa. Okay, the Prophet's wife, Safiya, radiallahu ta'ala anha, she was, her father was a chief amongst the Jewish tribe. Her, her father was Huyay ibn al-Akhtab. And he lived in Medina. And when she became Muslim, you know, people become Muslim and people ask you, um, so how did you become Muslim? So they would ask Safiya, radiallahu anha, how did you become Muslim? She was Jewish before and she became Muslim. And this is something interesting, you know, even when we're talking about, you know, Muslim, Jews, and stuff like that, the Prophet sallallahu wife converted from Judaism. She converted from Judaism. She married the Prophet And she said that the first time Islam entered, you know, kind of like the rays of light of Islam entered her heart was the day the Prophet entered Medina. She was a young girl and her father and her uncle went out to see if he truly was the messenger of Allah. And so people, when they went out to meet the Prophet they're looking for... You know, does he fulfill the, the requirements mentioned in their scriptures and so on and so on. When they came back, Safiya radiallahu anha heard her uncle say to her father, is he the one mentioned in our scriptures? Her father said, oh yeah, they're chiefs of the Jewish tribes. Yeah. He said, yes, he is the one mentioned in the scriptures. So then her uncle said, then what shall we do? And Huyay, her father said, will be his enemy till the final day. And so she... She said she knew the truth. She heard it from her father. Yet her father, her uncle, and those tribes, they were aggressive against the Prophet all that time. Many of them were expelled from Medina, breaking treaties with the Prophet But she later on became Muslim and married the Prophet And you have the example of Abdullah bin Salam, who also, he narrated that hadith the day the Prophet came. He went to go see him. And when he saw him, he knew that that wasn't the face of a liar and Abdullah bin Salam who became Muslim as well. They used to do things to the Prophet they used to harm the Prophet You'll see hadith where they'll say to the Prophet As-Samu alaykum right? and As-Sam means death. So they would change the word Salam to Sam they used to say this to the Prophet So you can imagine in the streets of Medina they will say As-Samu alaykum right? And Aisha radiallahu anha would get very angry at them and she said, Wa alaykum as-salam wa la'anatullah. 
And the Prophet ﷺ forbade Aisha from doing that, from you know, saying like that. And, and, and then Aisha ﷺ said, didn't you hear what they said? And the Prophet ﷺ didn't increase other than saying wa alaykum. That's all he did. He wouldn't say anything more than that. Um, but Aisha and then the Prophet ﷺ said to Aisha ﷺ, he said, ما كان رفق في شيئن إلا زانة that whenever رفق which is like leniency and softness and kindness every time that kindness is added to something it beautifies it and every time kindness is taken away from something it uglifies it or makes it ugly so even in these cases the Prophet ﷺ used to um, used to treat them good there is actually one one Jewish it's it's mentioned in the stories that. There's a Jewish man in, in Medina that lent something to the Prophet and after he lent this, uh, lent something to the Prophet in front of everybody, this Jewish man came to the Prophet and treated him really badly. And he said, give me my money back. You know, that kind of talk. Give me my money back. You took my money. You better give it back and so on and so forth. And so Umar was going to kill him for the way he was speaking to the Prophet and the Prophet ﷺ said to Umar that we needed better treatment from you in this case. He said, for me, you should have asked me to fulfill my debts in a kind way. And for him, you should have said that, you know, there's a nicer way of asking and so on. And so the Prophet ﷺ fulfilled his debt and even, you know, was very kind to him. And then this Jewish man became Muslim. And he said that I found all the signs of this in, in the scripture to fulfill, uh, being fulfilled in you, except one sign. I haven't seen it. He says, so this is what I was testing you on. Whenever someone treats him badly, it only increases him in his kindness and gentleness to that person. He said, that's all that was remaining, and, you know, and I found that. He treated the Prophet badly on purpose, and yet the Prophet wouldn't be provoked by that. That someone would treat him badly like that, but he would respond back in kindness. Now these are some examples of some of those who did accept, but as tribes, the Jews in Medina didn't become Muslim. They did not become Muslim. But they wrote, they had a treaty with the Prophet So here, in the Medina Treaty, you'll see some of, some of the, um, the points that they had agreed upon together. That the Jews of Banu Auf are one community with the believers. Okay, notice that. They're one community with the believers, and they're Jews, and the Jews will profess their religion and the Muslims theirs. The Jews, are, they're responsible for the expenditure of the Muslims. If attacked by a third party, each will come to the assistance of the other. So in the Battle of Al-Ahzab, for example, which is the Battle of the Trench, where they were being attacked in Medina, you'll see right there on that point, they had agreed to defend the Prophet ﷺ. They were part of the treaty in defense of Medina. And they, when those confederates' alliances came to Medina, they joined with the confederates. In attacking the Prophet ﷺ from like inside Medina, they broke their treaty. At a time when the Prophet ﷺ needed them the most to, to withhold their treaty, that's when they broke their treaty. Neither shall commit sins to prejudice of the other, the wrong party shall be aided. Right, so at the, there you also see that each shall contribute to defending Medina in case of a foreign attack in its respective area. There was a point that I was looking for, and that is with regards to blood money. Meaning that if there was blood money to be paid, and the Muslims in Medina, they would have to pay blood money, meaning someone is killed accidentally. It's like 100 camels, and 100 camels is a lot of wealth. They would have to pool the money together to pay for that. The Jews would have to share in that payment. 
The Jews would have to share in that payment. And so one of the Jewish tribes, this was the case, they were expelled at this point. The Prophet ﷺ went to them to seek like the blood money. And then when he was at their headquarters, like at their area, and there was not too many companions with him, they attempted to kill the Prophet ﷺ. And then they were expelled from Medina. Some of the Jews, some of them, obviously like we said, some of them became Muslim. Some of them became Muslim. Some of them upheld the treaty. And then you had others that were, had teamed up with like the Munafiqeen. The Munafiqeen in Medina were attacking the Prophet ﷺ. And similarly, the Jews were, some of them were joining up with that mentality. It's kind of like, you know how you have radio jockeys? Do you call them jockeys? Radio jockeys? You know, some people, they're just very aggressive against Islam, right? They're just very aggressive and... They would, you know, they'll say things and try to provoke people against Muslims, try to make people hate Muslims and so on and so forth. There were some amongst the Jews that did this. And in fact, there was um, someone who used to write poetry in attack of the Prophet ﷺ. His name was Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf. Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf, he used to write poetry against the Prophet ﷺ. He was like a Jewish munafiq. And he would write this to provoke people to come and attack the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ ordered him killed. Ordered him killed. He even wrote poetry against like the wives of the Prophet ﷺ and so on. Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf. Just giving you kind of like a background of each of these tribes. Banu Quraida is a very popular of these three Jewish tribes because in the Battle of Al-Ahzab, the Battle of Al-Ahzab, which is the Battle of Al-Khandaq, the fifth year of Hijrah, that's the statement of the Prophet ﷺ where he said, لا أحدكم العصر إلا في بني قريضة, That none of you should pray Asr except in Bani Quraida. And we'll, we'll get to it when we get there. So you realize Bani Quraida was executed in the Battle of Khandaq for what they did. And we'll talk about it later inshallah ta'ala. Then you have Banu Qaynuqa and you have Banu Nadir. Banu Nadir, I believe so. Someone correct me if I might have just uh, flipped it a bit. Banu Nadir... There was a Muslim woman who was covered. She went into the marketplaces of Banu Nadir. And in the marketplaces, you know, like the women, they'd have like these jalbabs and there's, they're not, they don't have too many undergarments. So this Jewish man came and he like put his spear on her garment at his market, in his shop. And then when she stood up, her clothes ripped off. And they started laughing and so on and so forth. One of the companions that was there took his sword and he killed him. And then the Jews ganged up on him and they killed him. And a fight broke out and the Prophet ﷺ, you know, they encircled them and they were expelled from Medina. They were expelled from Medina, they broke their treaty and so on. And then you had the other, Banu Qaynuqa, which, as I said, the Prophet ﷺ, for blood money, and it'll come up as well, but for the blood money, the Prophet ﷺ went to them with just two or three companions to discuss with them to, you know, gather the money together for the blood money. And he was sitting there. And they said, you know, we'll never get a chance like this. You know, this is our only opportunity to kill him, to execute him. So they said, you know, they went on a higher wall where the Prophet ﷺ was leaning. And they brought like a big rock that they were going to throw on the head of the Prophet ﷺ. And Jibreel ﷺ came and told the Prophet ﷺ of their plot. The Prophet ﷺ left. The companions, nobody, he just stood up and walked away. And the companions are shocked. They're sitting there, very long time passed, and they were on top of the roof, and they're like, what? The Prophet ﷺ came back from inner city Medina and came back with an army. And they were expelled as well. And then we spoke about Bani Quraida. And they are coming up, inshallah ta'ala. The other is the hypocrites. 
So the hypocrites, we spoke about that earlier, that you have two types of hypocrites. One type of hypocrite is um, a hypocrite who from day one is lying, right? They're just saying to everybody, I'm Muslim, I'm Muslim, but they're not really Muslim, right? And I give examples of that, of that hypocrite woman and stuff. You guys remember that, right? First weekend. There are other hypocrites where they may have entered in the beginning as Muslims, but then the light of Islam extinguished in their heart. And they become a hypocrite later. So you have two types of hypocrites. Some who have been hypocrites from the very beginning and others who have, you know, there's like misguidance in their heart and so on. So the hypocrites, they hurt the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi And we uh, mentioned that last week, some of the things that they did. The head, the chief of the hypocrites was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Right? So Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. I'll just go through, there are so many verses in the Quran that speak about the hypocrites. Because the kuffar, they're known. The believers are known. And then you have a gray area, which is the munafiqeen. And that's like unknown, right? So you'd have, you know, believers are clear. Disbelievers are clear. The munafiqeen, what's their issue? Because outwardly, they're saying they're Muslims. Inwardly, they're not saying you're Muslims. How do you treat someone like that? And bottom line is this. You treat someone according to their outward actions. You treat someone according to their outward actions. Often in our community, we slip into the underneath actions. And we start questioning people's intention. It is none of our business what someone's internal intention is. That's between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're only allowed to deal with the outside. The outside might be messed up. You can deal with the outside as it's messed up. But you can't say, for example, someone... Let's, I'll give you an example of this. Say a sister wants to get married. Non-Muslim guy, he converted to Islam. And the next day he's going to get married. What do the Muslim community say? He only got, became Muslim because he wants to marry this girl. Have you ever heard that before? Have you heard it? How do you know that? How do you know he only became Muslim because he wants to marry this girl? In other words, it's none of your business what his internal intentions are. So I'm just giving you, like, it, it can slip through the community where people start judging the intention. It's none of your business what the intention is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to judge the intentions. You're only looking at the outward, um, the outward things. Even I'll give you this example for Al-Maghrib Institute. Someone will say, Muhammad al-Sharif charges money for Al-Maghrib Institute because he wants to build this financial empire on Al-Maghrib students and so on. And I would be like, take the issue aside. You're talking about an issue of intention. And I say to myself that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to judge my intention, not you. So really, because as you go around to people and you encourage them to study at al-Maghrib, shaitan's going to come to them with that one. Has, has shaitan already came with them? You've already met that one? Intentions, you'd say to them, Muhammad al-Sharif is going to go back to the day of judgment. He's going to have to deal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this one. And I know that. And so he said, Why, do you want to be included? Or do you want to give him some extra good deeds by backbiting on him? you know, to build it up. This is an issue when you deal in these things, right? It's an issue of intention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to question me about that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to question you about that. But here's the um, bottom line. You're go you have so many tests. Don't take on the tests of other people. Don't try to judge whether they're doing this and this and that. That's their tests. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge of judging them. You're not in charge of judging them. And when you try to judge them, it'll hurt your head. <laughs> It'll start to, you know, confuse you and so on. Why did they do Why didn't they do that? It's not your business why they did it. What's the outward action? And just base it on that, inshallah. May Allah bless you guys.
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us how do you deal with someone with a hypocrite? Here's another example of hypocrite. That's like you have these provocateurs, spies in the community, right? Undercover people. <laughs> they're like straight out munafiqeen, right in the masjid. They got a camera and they're going around looking for you. Munafiqeen with cameras. Not this guy, but... Uh, <laughs> We're talking about people in the masjid. Now, how do you deal with a situation like that? When, if there's munafiqeen in, in like a masjid and they got to record and all of these things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger gave us signs of a munafiq. And when you see the signs, that's when you back away from someone. The problem is this, that once you start learning about the signs, you realize that the signs point to you. <laughs> and they point to everybody. When you look at, and, and I gave you the example, you, go, you want to find out who's a munafiq in the group, go and play football with them. And whoever goes crazy and starts swearing and stuff like that, he's got some munafiq points right there. It's a sign of munafiqeen. If someone doesn't go to the masjid for fajr, they've got munafiq points piled up. If they don't go to the masjid for isha, they got, Prophet ﷺ said the hardest salah on the munafiqeen is salat al-fajr and salat al-isha. What about someone who never prays in the masjid? Oh man, their munafiq points have gone up. <laughs> and you keep going like that, you're going like that, and then you realize you only got like two friends. And they don't want to be your friend because they've been to the amargah, they know too. Okay, so the Prophet knew exactly who the munafiqeen were in Medina. He gave a list. He didn't go around exposing them. He didn't tell everybody, this guy's munafiq, that guy's munafiq, and so on. He knew it, and he only gave it to one companion because there's specific rulings attached, and for the, you know, the community to be careful and so on. The Prophet Allah commanded him not to pray janaz on the munafiqeen. So you imagine this person died in the community, and everybody's all sad and whatnot, and the Prophet refuses to pray janaz on the person. And, you know, everybody learns the lesson. They know he's not praying janazah because he's a munafiq. And so they would, uh, you know, stay away from praying janazah for that person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ مَا تَأَبَدَىٰ Don't pray on any of them that has died. وَلَا تَقُمْ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِ Don't stand on his grave. إِنَّهُمْ كَفَرُوا بِاللَّهِ And, and munafiqin there in the lowest pits of hellfire for, for taking that stance. We're saying signs of the munafiqin. Okay, anyways, we'll go through uh, these verses. Of these signs, فَإِذَا أُنزِلَتْ سُورَةٌ مُحْكَمَةٌ وَذُكِرَ فِيهَا الْقِتَالِ رَأَيْتَ الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْكَ نَظَرَ الْمَغْشِيَ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ فَأَوْلَىٰ لَهُمْ So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them to go out for the battles, there were those who made excuses and those who turned their backs on the Prophet In multiple battles, not the battle of Badr, but in Uhud and Khandaq, in all of these battles, the Munafiqeen turned their backs on the Prophet in his greatest times of need, The Muslims wanted to differ amongst the, you know, what do you do with the Munafiq? Do you fight them? Or do you leave them alone? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ma'idah, فَمَا لَكُمْ فِي الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِئَتَيْنِ وَاللَّهُ أَرْكَسُمْ بِمَا كَسَبُوا What's the matter with you, O companions of the Prophet, that you have divided into two groups with regards to the hypocrites, when Allah has cast them back into disbelief because of the sin that they've earned? أَتُرِيدُونَ أَن تَهْدُوا مَنْ أَضَلَّ اللَّهُ So the munafiqeen, because they turn their back on the Prophet sometimes you insist, you want them to be, like why are you turning your back on the Prophet? So some of the companions wanted to fight the munafiqeen, and some of the others said, no, let them be. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't you differ about them, but, and it's because of their sin that Allah didn't want them to be with the Muslims. So they themselves left. 
Have you ever had someone like boycott you? How many people had people boycott you? Some people? Sometimes you're like, alhamdulillah, they boycotted me. Because <laughs> you're like, Allah pushed them away and then you're like, okay, they're gone and, and alhamdulillah. Allah protected you from... And, and you see when the munafiqin, when they're pushed away, Allah subhanahu their sins accumulated, maybe there's too much backbiting, sins accumulate. And they were like, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Alhamdulillah, you don't want to have anything to do with you. And in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayuhan nabiyu taqillah wa la tuta'il kafirina wal munafiqeen. That keep your duty to Allah and don't obey the disbelievers and the hypocrites. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Law kharaju fikum ma zadukum illa khabala. That if they went out with you and marched out with you, they wouldn't have added nothing to you except disorder. Right? So if they're in the army, they're just going to cause trouble in the army. So alhamdulillah that they didn't join the army. Umar ta'ala anhu asked Hudayfa. Hudayfa had this list of the hypocrites, had the list of the hypocrites, and Umar went to Hudayfa and asked him the question. Are many of you familiar with this? He said, Hudayfa, I just have one question for you. Did the Prophet include me amongst the hypocrites? And Umar and I brought this up in the Tafsir Surah Al-Baqarah class, that a lot of times when we talk about hypocrites, immediately we're thinking of someone else. We're always like deflecting it from ourselves and thinking, oh, that person's got to be a hypocrite and that person, whenever I say something, they're like, yeah, I remember that guy and this sister and this person's doing that and rarely do we focus back and see, do these things apply to us or not? But the companions of the Prophet they're fearing for nifaq because nifaq can slip into a person, they're not even paying attention to what's going on and Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, he said, no, you're not included, you're not written in the list. And he said, and I will not tell anybody else after this. So when the Prophet died, they used to wait to see Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. They used to see if he would pray janazah for someone or not. If he did not, they would know this was a munafiq and he had the list and he knew that he was a munafiq and so they would desist from praying for that person as well. And if Hudayfa radiallahu anhu had prayed for a person, they would pray for that person.